The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Um, I'm glad, however, that I only have to do this or get to do this once a quarter, because in college particularly, um, I don't know what your study habits were, but I didn't go to the library a ton, but when I did it, I would say, you know, I'm going to pull all-nighter, going to study, whatever it was. And I found myself, like, double-fisting Mountain Dews and eating candy just to try and get sugar highs to stay through, up through the night. Well, on Monday of this week, when I opened my Bible and started thinking through the sermon, I found myself doing the same thing. And so, uh, truthfully, I could barely button my pants this morning. So I am really thankful that I only have to do this once a quarter because I, I just don't think I could handle the cholesterol or the the blood pressure, so to speak. So anyway, this time of year is uh, particularly uh, good for me because it's football season and being a former athlete, I love it. And for some reason, I was thinking through uh, some of my own relationships when I was in high school as it relates to football and uh, had a particular gentleman who took an interest in uh, training me. He was a personal trainer and I was kind of an awkward, gangly 15-year-old kid and he spent a lot of time with me, and he didn't charge me anything, and we developed a really good rapport and relationship, and looking back, we spent about three or four years together, I mean, he taught me how to lift weights, how to run, I mean, just a ton of stuff, and didn't charge me anything, or it, I don't know what he got out of it, really, but looking back, those kind of relationships baffle me a little bit. I can't understand why somebody would invest in me without the expectation of something in return. And uh, it so happens that uh, at the end of my high school career, through him and another gentleman, I actually came to faith in Christ. And so just to see the progression of our relationship was something I just was thinking about this week. And there's a similar storyline going on in the Corinthian church with Paul that we're going to look at this morning. So if if you're like me, though, I I work best off of expectations. So I'd like to just give you what the expectations are going to be this morning. And, um, and then we can kind of move from there. So I hope to do three things. The first is just for us to look at the passage together and kind of understand what's going on. I think it's really important that we uh, don't misinterpret Scripture. And I don't want you to hear my opinion on it. I want to hear what God says, 1 Corinthians says. And the second thing is I want to answer, ask and answer three questions. And then finally, my hope is that... Uh, as we are all in different places across the spectrum, financially, emotionally, relationally, um, physically, across the board, that the passage would in some way resonate with you and the Holy Spirit would be able to work in each of us as we go out from here this morning. So uh, another reason I am actually ready to get going is I am planning on going to croissants for brunch. And I don't know if any of you have ever had the... Uh, it doesn't matter, but they have a, they have a really good brunch. So let's trust God, let's pray, and, um, and we can get rocking and rolling, okay? Father, we are thankful this morning uh, that you brought us here. Lord, it was inside of your divine plan that each of us would sit here in this stuffy gymnasium and be with one another. Pray that the preaching would be clear, that the word would resonate with each of us that we would leave here trusting you more deeply and following you more rightly. And so we 
We lean on you this morning for all of that and so much more. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. So last week, uh, if you were or were not here, Randy just talked a little bit about what was going on. The first four chapters of Corinthians, Paul is addressing the divisions that existed in the church. So in my Pixar, Disney kind of way, I, I picture the Grecian culture there with everybody looking like Hercules, walking around with the, the white togas and the flowers in their hair just saying weird stuff, you know, philosophical things and talking, and I don't know what they did for work, but they just would walk around and talk. So similarly, that's what's going on in 1 Corinthians, the first part of chapter 4, is that Paul came and laid the foundation for the gospel. People came to faith, and then folks, these Hercules toga folks, started saying extra things. That would be the best way to say it. They started speaking eloquently and talking about uh, things outside of the gospel spirits. And so it says that the Corinthian church was puffed up. And so Paul is addressing specifically the pride, and he's closing off the first part of the letter. This is a 16-chapter note, which blows my mind. Um, sometimes I'll sit down, I'll try to write my wife a note, and get like two sentences in, and my head starts to hurt. And so I can't imagine what it would be like to write a 16-chapter note. So uh, he's leading in, in the next few chapters, he's going to discipline the church. So uh, that's what Randy set us up for today. Um, I, I do... I do want us to look briefly, and I think we have the page number. If you guys would, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Um, before we do that, I think it's uh, appropriate to get the storyline for who Paul is. Um, we, we see Paul uh, as the uh, writer of this letter, but before that, and some of you probably know, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he was a, a Christian headhunter. So he hunted down folks who claimed that Jesus was the Christ, and he killed him. And so he was a Jewish religious leader at the time, and he was on the way to Damascus, and uh, he literally had a come-to-Jesus moment where Jesus knocks him off his horse. Anyway, so Galatians 1 tells us from there, Paul goes into the Arabian desert for three years, and directly communicates with God on deep theological and practical church issues for three years, and then he goes out on three separate missionary journeys. And so at the tail end of the second missionary journey, he hits the town of Corinth. So Corinth, for all of you geography buffs, would be about 50 miles west of Athens. So uh, in relationship to where we're at here, that would be our brothers and sisters in Hemingway, South Carolina. <laughs> who were probably very similar to the Corinthian church. Uh, so Paul goes, and he doesn't know anyone, and he sets up shop. He, he's, a, he's a maker of tents, so he, he makes tents. I don't know who he worked for, uh, but uh, maybe that was where camping started. I'm not much of a camper. but So he would make tents, and he was able to begin to communicate with other tent makers. And we get this account in Acts 18, and it was Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila the husband, Priscilla the wife, they also made tents. And he began to dialogue with them, and they began to uh, be roommates. So I, they, Aquila and Priscilla and Paul, all living together. And then from there, it says on Sundays, well, 
in Jewish culture, it had been Saturday, as the Sabbath, Paul would go to the synagogue and dialogue back and forth with these, um, the, the Hercules Grecian folks uh, about the things of God. And so he would continue for a year and a half, it says, to go back and forth. And when Paul left, a church was formed, and it was a church at Corinth. So he's writing reflectively back after having been there, and by the sweat of his own brow, telling the folks of Corinth about the things of Christ. So let's look at verse 14 here, and, um, and we're just going to quickly run through what these verses actually say. I, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so what he's saying there, does that mean I have like stuff on my mouth? You know, when you talk a lot, you get chalky mouth. So what Paul's saying here is he's not writing to, to shame them. Later in the letter, he does specifically speak to some of their shameful acts. But he, he's pleading with them after the first couple of chapters, remember, I, I love you. I'm pulling for you. I was on the ground floor with you. I, I went to the synagogue. I made tents. I ate at the local bakery. I was in your town. I love you. I care for you. Don't take these things as a, as a shameful response. Take it as me loving you as, as a father would love a child. And we're going to come back and, and talk about that specifically. Moving on into verse 16, it says, I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. You know, thinking back to the fact that Paul, Paul addresses things in his 13 letters to the different churches that Jesus Christ himself doesn't even talk about in the Bible. And it would be a lot like if you were a doctor who discovered a disease and simultaneously discovered the cure for the disease. Why would other doctors not imitate how you're addressing the disease? And in the same way, Paul's not speaking pridefully telling them to imitate himself, but he's speaking matter-of-factly, talking about the fact that he spent three years with Jesus Christ in the Arabian desert and that the practical, spiritual, and theological issues going on in the church would be best suited to follow from his example. So as we finish up here in verse 18, it says, Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but, the power, but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Uh, what Paul references there is the uh, eloquent speakers that we talked about earlier that were adding to the gospel. And so Paul is expecting, it says, if the Lord wills, to come back to Corinth and, and have an uh, altercation or a confrontation with these folks who were uh, false teachers and persuading the Corinthian church. Verse 21 here uh, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with uh, love and a spirit of gentleness? It should really, if you're asking me, it should be the first part of chapter 5. It doesn't really fit with the rest of the verses, so we're going to leave it out. Um, I want to come back to, and this is the first question I'd like to ask, is the first of three questions. Man, the fan is blowing. That's okay, don't worry about it. The first question I'd like to ask is, what we see in verse 14 and 15 is, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Paul makes a, 
a distinction there. Um, the Greek word for guides, and I don't know who's fluent in Greek in here, uh, but it's pedagogue. That's how I pronounce it. And what that means is that a guide at the time was a slave. It was a slave who was the child care provider for upper class citizens of the community. And so these guides would take the children of the upper class folks to and from school. They were, they were babysitters. And so Paul there in another translation says, you have 10,000 babysitters, but you don't have many fathers. And so he draws a line in the sand there that says there's a big difference between the way that these folks love you and care for you and the way that I love you. So the first question I want to ask is what kind of love did Paul have for the Corinthian church? I'm, I'm not a father. Um, I don't have kids yet, but I know enough fathers in here to know that there's a, a special type of affection that a father or a parent in general has for their children. And it's one that is birthed out of caring more about the well-being of the child than your own well-being. And I, I can't fully fathom that yet, but I did have someone tell me that um, they, were, they were pretty rigid, uh, pretty straightforward, kind of disciplined, and uh, the first child they had was a little girl, and now he's a big teddy bear. And so there's a, a sense that a child's life has an effect on a parent. And Paul is specifically showing himself as someone who cares more about the interests of the church in Corinth than he does his own interest. And we see that specifically with the way that Paul interacts. Even in this, these seven verses here, in verse 14, we see that just like an earthly father would love, Paul is loving them as beloved children. We then see that just like an earthly father would uh, discipline, down in verse 21, that he's going to discipline them. As an earthly father would teach them, we've all been taught something by a parent, whether good or bad, uh, Paul is going to teach them. He says in verse 17, I, as I teach them everywhere in every church. And in the same way that to be a father, you have to actually reproduce or, or procreate, Paul on a spiritual level, procreated the Corinthian church because he was out sharing the gospel. And so he draws this parallel that says, I, I'm not your earthly father, but I'm just like a father. And I, some of you who know me may, may or may not know this. I, I get embarrassed fairly easy over just kind of weird stuff. Uh, and so on our, my first wedding anniversary, we were, you know, you do the thing where you eat the top of the cake. And so we did that. And we were at a hotel, and we were coming out, and uh, wife asked me, she said, will you run in and get some forks and um, knives from the hotel? I said, I can't do it. She said, what do you mean you can't do it? I said, it makes me feel weird. I, I don't want to ask them for their, for their utensils. That's a weird question to ask somebody. And uh, so I, I, it really embarrassed me, and so I didn't go in. We just sat in the car and argued back and forth, and then finally she got out and went and got the forks and the knives. I know that seems silly, but... This story that I'm about to share with you guys is the clearest example I can relate to of what a father loving a child or a parent loving a child looks like. I heard this story. This goes back probably a couple years ago. Um, it was about a, a dad who was at a youth soccer event 
Some of you guys who have ever been to youth Saturday morning soccer events, those are pretty epic deals and some pretty intense parenting going on, but I'll leave it at that. Um, so anyway, his little girl, who's eight years old, she's, she's the goalie on the soccer team. And all the parents have the food and the chairs out, and so the father's sitting down. And a, a goal goes in, and his little girl was frustrated. Well, before the half, the first half of the soccer game's even over, the little girl has let in eight goals. And so, as you could imagine, some of the petty talk amongst the parents, chatting and, and whatnot, and he, the father looks over and sees his little girl crying. She's just standing in the goal, and she, tears are just flowing down her face. And so he gets up from the other end of the field out of his chair, and he starts sprinting down the sidelines, screaming at the time at a youth soccer fan, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And it stopped this little girl, and she was able to wipe the tears from her eyes. And to me, in that moment, knowing how I get embarrassed easily, I wonder myself, would I... Would I care more about the interests of my child in that moment than I did about my own self? The father in that story was tending to the needs of his daughter's mind, her heart, and even her physical disposition over his own interest. And I don't know what each of you's interaction or example of a father has been. I'm pretty sure we could ask each one of you and it'd be very different. But what we do have, and the Bible paints this so clearly, we have an example of a heavenly father who fathers us rightly. And so I just want to list through a couple. You guys don't have to turn there. Um, Not that you would probably turn there anyway, but if you had the urge, I'll just read them. The Bible shows us the way that God loves us. In Psalms 4, that we are loved by God because he puts joy in our hearts and gives us peace. Psalm 36 says, by letting his children take refuge in the shadow of his wings, he shows his love to them. Isaiah 43 says that God shows us his love by calling us specifically by name and that we are precious and honored in his sight. And Zephaniah 3.17 reminds us that our heavenly father loves us by delighting in us. And so, whether or not you've had a good example of what fatherly love looks like, uh, we have a heavenly father who does love us well, and he loves us with no regard for anything else. And so, in the same way that we are loved by God, and Paul was loved by God, he was able to take that love and affection that he received from Christ and give it to the Corinthian church. So the second question I want to ask, for those of you counting, two of three here. The second question is, what would a community or a group of folks look like that were committed to loving one another with that kind of parental affection? Well, I'm glad you asked. We find that in Acts 2. And so if you want, you can turn there. I think we have a page on the screen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So a group of people that love one another in the same way that Christ first has loved them and in the same way that Paul loved the Corinthian church, they eat together. They pray together. They laugh together. They go to worship together. They live near each other. They do life together. That's the local church. That is the mechanism and the design in which God himself says, the world will know most clearly what I think about everything through the local church. So if you are a believer in Christ, if you have received and accepted that heavenly father love, our next response is to be a member of a local gospel-believing church because that's the incubator in which Christian life that we see in Acts 2 is lived out. And so the, the third question, taking it a step further, what would it look like as an individual, as a CPA, a lawyer, a husband, a father, a youth soccer coach, a mother, a sister, what would it look like if we loved other folks that we encountered on a daily basis with the same affection of a community that we see here in Acts 2? There's two references I I want to make here in Acts chapter 4, verses 4 and 8. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So there was much joy in that city. We, we preach the word through the way that we live our lives, and when it calls for it, we speak. But most importantly, with the way that we do our taxes as members of a local church, tells the world how Jesus would do his taxes. We are the representation as an Acts 2 community of what Jesus Christ says about everything. And to a culture, a community, an HOA board, wherever it is that you're spending your time. The Bible says that we're to take that community and that love that we first received from Christ and give it freely and loosely to the folks that we encounter. And so we're going we're gonna to round third and, and head for home here. But I want to specifically speak to The rhythm of a Christian's life is that at some point we respond to God's love. I heard it said in the last couple weeks that really we shouldn't tell God that we love him. We should just say, I love you too, because he has first loved us and showered us with that love. And so really us loving him is a response to his love for us. 
And, and, and just to be very clear, not to assume anything, when I, when I mean that we receive God's love, I mean that we say we are broken and sinful and on our own account and accord, it is impossible to please a holy God. So Jesus Christ comes, who's the creator and sustainer of everything, comes down and interrupts human history, lives a life that fulfills the entire Old Testament law, and then our, on our behalf dies on a cross with real nails and real blood and real pain, defeats death, raises himself from the dead, and sits in heaven now waiting to come back and make all things right. Once we accept that love from God our Father, then the rhythm of a Christian's life is to then join a Acts 2 community. The same Acts 2 community that Paul established in the church in Corinth. And to live life with one another, to help each other guard our lives and our doctrine, to live in relationship with each other, an incubator, to get well, and then to go out into community and tell others, more so with our actions than our words, why we do things the way that we do. And so the reason that Paul was able to have a, a sacrificial love, a fatherly sacrificial love for the church in Corinth is because he was so moved by the love that Jesus had for him after he went out and hunted down Christians to kill, like they were deer or ducks or whatever, that that same God would love him. And so, uh, as we finish up here, there, there probably are, and I've thought about this, there are probably three types of folks that may be sitting in here in this small crowd today. The first would be somebody that says, I, I don't really understand what you're talking about, or... I'm not comfortable with what you're saying, or even that that's not for me. I don't believe that, or um, it's still wrestling through what they think about Jesus. And to you this morning, I, I would plead with you that, that you have hope, that your hope and your worth and your life and your existence is found in what Jesus thinks about you and what Jesus has done for you. And I would beg you this morning, to accept that, Acts 17 says that if we would turn and reach to God, he is not far from any one of us. And so maybe there's a second type of person in here that's a, a believer in Christ. But you're struggling with life, you're angry, maybe you've had a family member pass away, you're sick, you're cold. When you hear worship music, it doesn't stir you. When you hear the Bible read, it doesn't do anything. And to you this morning, I would say, I, I've been there. And you're not alone. And it's okay. God will not leave you in a season of apathy forever. But the way in which a struggling believer feels the love of Jesus when they can't feel it themselves is by surrounding themselves with spiritual fathers and mothers in a local church. And so to you this morning... I would beg you to continue to struggle and fall and stumble into a local group of believers. And so maybe the final person.
person that may be sitting in here, as a believer who's in a, a fruitful place. Maybe your affections are stirred towards Christ this morning. Maybe you feel deeply the, the reality of Jesus' love for you. And so with you this morning, I, I would rejoice with you. And I would say, praise God. But your obligation is to surround the other believers in your community with the love that you feel directly from Christ. And then to go out in your places of work and your places of establishment and with your actions, love others freely with a parental type of affection. And so wherever you're at this morning, the good thing and the final thing that we can hang our hats on is that the creator of the universe, the, the hand in which reality and the cosmos sit on, is screaming from the sidelines of heaven, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. So let's pray and finish our time here together this morning. Father, we are grateful whether we know it or not, of your love for us. Lord, we know that your design for us is that the church is a place in which we can feel and know your love when we can't even hold on to it ourselves. We are thankful for what Jesus has done for us. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and resonate wherever we're at. That we would grow in love and faith and trust for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we prepare to Remember what you did for us almost 2,000 years ago and remember what you will do for us one day, turning the world back on its right side. We ask you to come and meet with us before we scatter and go out into this community. Through Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.